This is Precious Flamingo, a podcast miniseries by Kate Rhodes. This week, we find Kate at the San Francisco Arts Commission Gallery. What's happening? Are they ready? Yeah, is it starting? Okay. Hey, hello there. Ready to start off this glorious podcast miniseries with a beautiful and informative walking tour. Now we're going to be going outside, so get everything all set up. You're going to want to have your sunscreen if that's the situation for you, or if it's raining, get that sorted out. And when you're all ready to start going outside from here, the San Francisco Arts Commission Gallery, you can hit play again meaning that you were going to pause to do all that stuff I said. Then you're going to hit play. Then we're going to go and start the tour. If you're not at the San Francisco Arts Commission Gallery, you're welcome to just pretend. Or you could pop on some sort of satellite imaging site of your choice and do a little digital tour along with us. And when you're ready, we'll go. So we'll start out here at the Precious Flamingo Information Kiosk, and let's begin walking towards the large, colorful sculptures by Megan Reed. Now you're going to notice in this show a lot of pink. Pink today is associated with girls in the gender binary color meanings of America, but not always so in Western culture. Back in the day, a long-ass time ago, All babies were dressed in blue because blue was associated with the Virgin Mary and she had a very famous baby named Jesus. So everybody was all thinking about Jesus, putting their babies in blue clothes and calling it a day. But then in the 1920s, they started dividing up in America babies into dual gender groups and they would put blue on the girls because blue was considered more delicate and pink on the boys because red, light red, was considered more out there and bold and all that kind of thing. There's a little bit of contention about when it switched. Some people say that they started putting girls in pink because of some European legend about girls being born out of flowers or something. Parakeets' noses or their beaks on the male is blue and the female parakeet's nose is pink. Okay, let's continue right on forward back towards the Roy DeForest show up front as we continue on going. Do notice the homage to Zane Grey painting. You may be able to tell from Roy DeForest paintings that he is responsible for the following quote. I believe that everyone should build their own concept. I like the concept of having your own beliefs that you construct yourself, where I'm, um, I don't like heavily organized religions where you're told everything that you have to do. I'm more a believer that everyone should develop their own belief, uh, and it could have, uh, uh, you know, the great dangle in the sky. Uh, that, you know, is that's my theory. Notice the laser flames flowing out of the eyes of the dog, the hidden rabbits, and the very knowing sideways look 
of the black spotted horse. Okay, let's keep on going. Let's head out of here. Let's head out of the gallery. Go ahead and open the door. And as you exit, you will find yourself in kind of the foyer, or as some would say, the foyer of the San Francisco Veterans Building, which opened on November 11th, 1932, which also houses the Herps Theater, or as they used to call it, the Veterans Auditorium. And little known fact, President Truman and other heads of state and dignitaries and so forth signed the United Nations Charter in there on June 26, 1945, which was six years deep into World War II. Did you know that? I didn't realize that. That's why they got the UN Plaza and all this stuff. This is where the freaking UN started. Right here in San Francisco. So keep on going and head out the front doors that you came in to get here. And we will emerge outside into beautiful San Francisco, California. So head right now up to the crosswalk on Van Ness. Do not get on the bus. As you may know, genocider Padre Junipero Serra came on over and established the mission here on October 9th, 1776. Uh, he called it San Francisco de Asisala Laguna de los Dolores, which means St. Francis of Assisi at the Lagoon of Sorrows. St. Francis, a little less of a, of a contentious figure in the Catholic history, is the patron saint of animals. I guess he had a real complicated relationship with his dad. He did some kind of thing where he like stole some fabric or whatever, and then his dad found out, and then St. Francis was like, you can have all my clothes, and he like ripped off all his clothes and gave them back, and gave him back the money that he got from like selling it wrongly or whatever and then he's like screw you dad my only dad is god if you're not already keep on continuing you can walk and cross van s if it's uh time to do so now saint francis was alive in like the freaking 1100s he was like hanging out back in assisi and he was riding a horse and then this leper comes up okay and so saint francis like embraced and kissed the leper and then he was like, oh, I feel a lot of indescribable freedom and I'm going to start being like a monk or whatever. You may remember him from the famous painting by Gio Giotto. And he is like, you know, chit chatting with all different kinds of birds. And you might think like, oh, man, a sermon to birds. That sounds awesome. But actually, if you go and kind of see what they say, he said, even though they can't really know because it was so I mean, it was a really long time ago. It was kind of weird. It was kind of a guilt trip on the birds to make them feel bad because he's like, oh, you know, God saved you on the ark when he flooded the world. And yet you still don't even have to farm or anything. So you better really, really be into God, birds. I just thought it was going to be a little more of a motivational speech. Anyhow, moving right along. If you cross Van Ness by now, you will, the next thing you're going to come up to is a statue, a big statue of a guy holding a giant book. And that is Hall McAllister. So Hall McAllister was a really important legal guy back in the mid-1800s. He was actually the first United States circuit judge for California, 
I think he was like the president of the bar, the California bar, you know, the lawyer thing. There is a really great description of his head in this book, The History of the Bench and Bar of California. Mr. McAllister had a large square face, an unusual proportion of it below the eyes, a forehead neither full nor high, and lower than the average of men of ability, with no corrugations to betray the earnest study he concentrated upon his causes, a head thick through and noticeable chiefly for its peculiar and irregular shape, the whole suggesting the seed of a practical mind, highly endowed with the powers of analysis and conclusion. Everybody was really obsessed with head shapes back in the day, and it's really creepy. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, creepy subtext under all these people that we're going to be talking about today. So keep on going with City Hall there to your right, and you're going to come up to the crosswalk to cross Polk Street. Anyhow, once you get up there past Polk Street, you'll see over here in Civic Center Plaza all these different flags including the original california bear flag can you find it don't get too off track looking around at all the flags the whole evolution of the bear flag actually started with the california lone star flag which was flown during a failed california rebellion in 1836. Uh, they said they were probably supposedly inspired by texas the lone star state i think we got a better deal we got the bear suck at texas okay so there's also a very rare flag up there which is just a blue field and white lettering that says don't give up the ship so those words are from this guy james lawrence and it was his dying command during a battle where he got killed but then his buddy survived i don't know if he was even there or just heard about it but the buddy's name was commodore oliver hazard who was a successful ship captain dude during the war of 1812 and i guess he made the flag as a commemoration it's supposed to be motivating i guess or a little ominous don't give up the ship and you'll also see that yellow flag with a coiled up snake that d says don't tread on me which is really weird because in contemporary America, we associate that with the Tea Party. But the Tea Party was using it because it had to do with the Continental Navy back in 1775 when George Washington was doing all his stuff. But not totally sure. There's also a Texas flag up there. One of the flags has a Union Jack. They got. All, I think they just went to a flag clearinghouse sale and just kind of took what was there. Great flags though. And if we want to continue, we'll just keep heading on the side of Civic Center Plaza here, on toward Larkin Street. Now, as you're headed there, there is a large mural on the left on McAllister Street with the Tenderloin People's Garden. Not many people know this, but the Tenderloin neighborhood of San Francisco has more children living in it than any other neighborhood in San Francisco. The neighborhood struggled to have a full-service grocery store, so this was an option for people to have access to fresh, affordable food for the 30,000 residents of the Tenderloin. The garden and its associated gardens on various, around other various gardens and rooftop gardens in San Francisco produces approximately 2,500 pounds of food a year, which is given to over 400 people for free. You can also volunteer there if you want to, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 to 12 p.m. Okay, keep on heading up 
McAllister Street. Past, you got the Asian Art Museum over there on your right. We're not going to talk about that. And on your left, you'll start to see the UC Hastings College of Law. Now we got another weirdo lawyer. Okay. I don't know what his head was shaped like, but, but the Hastings College of Law was named after this guy, Cyrenus Clinton Hastings. Okay. The school was founded by him in 1878. He was the first chief justice of California, and he had a whole mess of weirdness surrounding him. So, Cyrenus Hastings, as he was a judge, he was getting some sweet deals going. This was during the gold rush, as I'm sure you remember. And he's like, you know, I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to go, you know, scraping around in the mud looking for gold. Why don't I just do some real sweet real estate deals? and do a lot of scamming because I'm a judge and I have a lot of power. So he got set up with all this land out in Eden Valley. Now Eden Valley's out there in gold country. It's south of Grass Valley. He was like, this is my land now, I'm making a ranch. And he had all these strong men on his ranch basically clearing out and killing Native Americans. So by the end of the Civil War, they... Judge Hastings and all his henchmen basically had cleared out all the Mendocino Indians that had been in the area when they got there. And now today in Eden Valley, as with a lot of stuff in that area of California, they have some kind of holistic healing lifestyle affirming place. So that's the story of Hastings. You see some Hastings things around. Now you know the rest of the story. So let's continue on toward Hyde Street. Hyde Street, well, before they had mayors, they had alcaldes. Alcalds? So George Hyde was the second ever alcald of San Francisco. So we don't know very much about him because he was only in charge of San Francisco for a very short term, but I do have his birth chart And I can tell you that his son was in Leo, so he did want a lot of influence and recognition and, like, status. But because his moon was in Virgo, he needed a lot of security and steadiness, which would explain why he left politics and then just spent the rest of his life with his family in a farmhouse or something somewhere. You'll be on the corner of this big, cementy, gray kind of building, And you're going to go ahead and make a right down Hyde Street, but you'll be right next to this gray building. And if you look up on the side of the building, you'll see these faces that are carved out of concrete. And those traditionally are called mascarones. Now these ones, as you walk on down, you'll see that they are adorned with different horticultural items. The first one's got cattails. Okay. And that represents the phallus. The second one has corn. That represents harvesting corn. The third one is wheat for prosperity. And then the last one has oak to commemorate the oaks, the beautiful oaks of the California countryside. And as we keep going on past these carved faces which are on the federal building. P.S. This federal building, guess who the architect is? 
It's actually the same architect who designed the very first building we were in, the Veterans Building. It's our old pal, Arthur Brown Jr. He constructed it between 1934 and 1936, if you can believe that. He was born in Oakland, so the oak leaves might really actually be a shout out to Oakland. I wasn't just making that up. So if you keep going straight, you'll see that there is a statue of Simone Boulevard. It's a guy on a horse. It's got a pretty intense pedestal thing that it's on. And if you go up to that, you'll see that the horse is really excellent. Now, Simone Bolivar is kind of known as like the George Washington of South America. He worked to liberate all these different countries, including Peru. You can read about him on the pedestal thing. But bad news again, he was also super racist like just about everyone we've talked about so far. He had this whole thing about how he wanted to keep white people as a top status and basically have like a two-tier society where non-white people, where mixed race and black people were second class. I personally didn't expect it from him, but I don't know shit about stuff. And honestly, if you know anything about history, you probably should expect these things. He also had a horse. And little known fact, his horse was named Palomo. That is so cute. He was a gift from an elderly peasant woman in Santa Rosa de Viterbo, which I think is in Venezuela. Now, Paloma lived from 1783 to 1830, and that to me seems like a pretty good long life for a horse. He is still on the Venezuelan coat of arms. So interestingly enough, I found a very, very old interview with Palomo, which I'll play a little bit for you now as you go ahead and continue on from this statue. And and if you're looking at the statue, you're going to make a left towards UM Plaza, towards Market Street, and you can just continue on that way as we take a little step back in time and talk to Paloma. Hello, Palomo. Hello. What's your favorite part about being a really intense war horse? Well, I gotta tell you, I don't like it at all. It's extremely stressful. It's extremely hectic. I don't like all the battling. To be honest, if I had my druthers, I would just be hanging out eating oats out of a bag in a meadow with other horses. That's what I'm about. I never chose this. I was, you know, some old lady gave me to this weird warmonger guy, you know, and... I get that the work he's doing is historically significant, I'm assuming. But I'd honestly just rather be galloping around, enjoying the outdoors. I love the outdoors. I love rock formations. And drinking water from a trough or from a beautiful stream. Do you have any other horse insights that you'd like to impart to humanity? I would just like to say that we should all chill out. I don't know what's going on with all these human wars, but I would just like to have some apple slices, some carrots, some salt lick. It would be great. I've never had a banana, but that sounds cool. You know, fruit, vegetables, licking things, you know, rolling around on the ground. That's very interesting that you say rolling around on the ground. I am not super familiar with horses or livestock of any kind. But I'm just wondering, what's up? Can horses lay down? Can they roll around? 
What's what's going on with that? Well, that's a good question, and I'm happy to answer it. I will sometimes lie down for an hour or two every day because I have a very horses have a much smaller requirement for rim sleep than humans do. Um, but if I'm not allowed to lie down for a long time because of all the war and the battles and the nonsense, then sometimes I'll just slip right into REM sleep while I'm still standing. Another thing is when you take my saddle off, or I think this is true for most horses, uh, sometimes we'll be kind of sweaty and we'll roll on the ground in the dust and so on to kind of sort out all the moisture it kind of chills out the moisture. You don't want to be moist as a horse. It's very unpleasant. Well, Palomo, thank you for this interview. It's been extremely informative to me and I'm sure all of our listeners. This has been Venezuela 1700s Radio. Who knows how we're doing it? It's a mystery. Thank you very much. And as you make a left down Market Street towards 7th Street, you go on and you're going to, again, have a lovely wait at the crosswalk. Don't forget to hit the arrow button to try to make this little crosswalk situation happen. And as you're looking across Market Street, you'll see a CVS. Surprise! You may not think about it now that they have 7,800 retail stores across the United States and presence in nearly every of the 50 states. They didn't start out this way. Well, CVS, which stands for Consumer Value Store, actually started out back in Lowell, Massachusetts in a mere 1963. That's actually not that long ago. So keep on walking down Market Street. You'll probably see three or four more CVSs. Now, one thing you're going to pass while you're going there down Market Street is Hibernia Bank, a very strange building with a copper cap on top that's all green. I mean, I'm assuming it's copper because that's what turns green, right? Anyhow, that bank opened in 1859. Most of the people depositing money there, guess what they were doing? They were gold people. Irish miners working the gold fields out north came over to Hibernia Bank, and uh, the bank would take their gold. Anyhow, some architect named Albert Pissis I'm not making that up. Designed that building over there. Of course, the bank moved out of that building and was then the building was taken over by the San Francisco Police Department. And then they moved in 2000 and since then it's been pretty much out of commission. And it's got a dome and that railing kind of looking stuff that goes around the top. That's called a balustrade. Isn't that exciting? And as we're walking on past the Hibernia Bank... And flying falafel. If you want to pause this and get a falafel with everything, please do so. But if not, keep on walking past that. And before you know it, on your right is the International Art Museum of America. Gather yourself. Tidy up a little bit if you're pour and sweat, and go ahead, open the door, and go inside. Hello. Hello. Just 
ask that you don't take photos on the second floor. Okay. You're welcome to take photos here on the okay. first floor. Okay. And uh, here's a brochure we're called Yama. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Now, if at any point while you're in the International Art Museum of America, you need to p- pause this podcast and just take a deep I want to say look, but it's more than just looking. It's a full, all five senses and six sense sensory experience. If you need to do that, that's completely okay. But when you're ready to keep on going, we're going to go left past the reception desk and into through the doorway and back here where there is what looks like absolutely genuine, real coral. But guess what? As with many things in the International Art Museum of America, there is more than meets the eye. This is actually a sculpture. As you recover from the shock that this revelation has had on your mind, we'll go ahead and take a left up this staircase. Go on ahead up the staircase. And there is a bronze bust, but if you go past the bust into the little room behind the bust, you'll see that this room is completely empty. This might be a great place to have like a very, very small wedding ceremony. Feel the size of the room with your body. Look at the ceiling. Look at the floor and then walk out of this room and continue through the larger doorway up a couple steps. You can look down over the railing to see how far we've come since we first came in the building and then continue forward and then left around the railing and you'll see a sculpture and the placard says that it is of an ancient withered vine. Now What kind of vines do you suppose these are? Well, my best guess is that these are a trumpet creeper, a vine native to North America, including such places as Ohio and South Dakota. It is actually, it is actually a very aggressive colonizing woody vine. They have beautiful red kind of waxy looking flowers and are very popular with ruby-throated. They're pretty drought-tolerant, and they bloom most in the full sun. Obviously, this one didn't quite get enough sun, as it is withered. Now, keep on going straight past here. You'll come up to a kind of threshold gateway, wooden kind of entrance. Now, go on through that entrance. And before you keep on walking, notice the ground and the interesting marbled pattern. Just notice it. Now keep walking. Now on your left, you'll start to see these interesting frames with lenticular prints inside. Sometimes we think of those as holograms. Continue on. And you'll see another frame that is reminiscent in its form of the reishi mushroom. According to the Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, reishi mushrooms can work as an antioxidant. 
and may enhance immune response. Some other purported Some uses other include purported the treatment of fatigue, lowering high cholesterol, lowering, lowering reducing inflammation, pressure, stimulating the... Some other purported for real. uses include treating oh. fatigue, that has not been tested in humans, increasing your strength and stamina, and treating urinary tract symptoms. Once you've taken that all in, Let's continue on down to the last lenticular print in this hallway. This is one of my favorite pieces. As you can see, depicted in the lenticular image are two flamingos standing in a forested area. And when shown in this stone like shown frame, in this frame Suggesting rock formation and the kind of lip at the bottom of the image. It, it is, is as, as if we, we are looking are out at them from the mouth of a cave. If you move from side to side, the flamingos are moving. And I may begin to feel. I am moving. Am I am moving? I, How am I moving? I feel My feet aren't. What happened, what happened to, to the, the ground? Why is it getting? What's happening? I'm. What's happening? Somehow floating through the barrier of glass into the picture. Into the picture. Into the picture. Thank you for listening to Precious Flamingo. This podcast is made possible by the San Francisco Arts Commission Gallery. For more information, check out our website at preciousflamingo.space or give us a call at 419-351-6606.